Salam alaikum and welcome to another episode of Muslims, Money and Me, alongside yours truly, Jordan Maxwell, where of course we deep dive into all things personal finance and discuss how you, as a modern Muslim, can navigate the choppy waters of money management with confidence. Now before I forget, this episode is brought to you by Wealthy, the financial coaching and well-being service for Muslim professionals and business owners. So whether you want to improve your financial habits, transform your relationship with money, or build better financial well-being in general, Wealthy has it covered. Head over to wealthy.co.uk. Again, that's wealthy, W-E-A-L-T-H-I-E, where you can request a free discovery Zoom call, or you can take the free money health check questionnaire and see just how fit your finances currently are. Either way, head over to Wealthy and start your journey to financial well-being today. So with that out of the way, let's jump in to the episode. So today's guest, he and I connected, I want to say early, early last year, I want to say. Uh, but since then, his work rate has, has been absolutely unreal. Um, he's he's the, the founder and CEO of probably one of the most exciting fintechs uh, you know, that's this happening in this space at the moment. You know, you, when, when I say who it is, you've got to know exactly <laughs> who I'm talking about. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure <laughs> pleasure to welcome brother uh, Arib Sadiq of Kestrel. Salam alaikum, bro. Welcome, Aslam. Thank you so much for that glowing introduction. I'm sure, like, barely anyone knows who I am. Uh, but, but yeah, let's let's see. But, yeah, Alhamdulillah, thank you so much for, for inviting me onto the podcast. And sorry it's taken so long. Yeah, I, I have been crazy busy. <laughs> uh, but yeah really good to be here now no it's a pleasure having you on again thank you for taking the time uh, i definitely appreciate it so look for those who have been living under a rock right and don't know who you don't know who you are or don't really know much about um about kestrel can you just give us a quick rundown of what you've been up to and, and the work that you're currently doing yeah of course so uh kestrel is a mobile app that aims to make it easy for muslims to budget save and invest in line with their personal values. This all began when I met my co-founder when we were studying together for an MBA and we both faced a common dilemma where we were really trying to achieve our financial goals in our lives, the things that really mattered to us, uh, you know, buying a house, starting a family, all those kinds of things. And we were finding it near impossible to find banking, savings and investment solutions that, that met our, our religious values. And it was this weird kind of tipping point where I am a British Muslim, lived here my whole life, been in the UK, and I banked with Barclays. It was the first account my, my parents opened with me. And my friend dying, who's from Malaysia, which is very different in terms of Islamic finance, just sort of asked me, why don't you use an Islamic bank? And the truth was I didn't have an answer <laughs> for him. And I started saying all of these sort of muddled statements about oh, you know, it's just what my parents opened and we don't really have a good option. And, and slowly, slowly, as I was saying all of this stuff, I realized I don't know uh, why I don't. <laughs> it's just something I'd never actually properly considered, which is weird because when, you know, as a practicing Muslim, Alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm pleased to say that I, you know, pray five times a day, make sure the food that I eat is halal. But when it came to finances, it wasn't really on the agenda. It was almost like, there was this weird thing where like my parents weren't talking about it, my friends weren't talking about it. And it was almost like we'd normalized this culture of being really religious. But when it came to finances, just accepting that that was a part that we didn't have to adhere to. And I wasn't really sure why. 
Um, so that really led us down a path which eventually led to us starting up Kestrel. And you know, we can go into all that if you want, but I don't know if that's what you want to get into. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that was the beginning of it and, and what Kestrel aims to do. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. So we'll, we will jump in uh, a little more into the work that you're currently doing with Kestrel and uh, sure. the, the help that it's doing in the community to push forward this financial well-being narrative. Um, but just taking a, taking a step back to what you said, you know, from from what you was doing before and the work that you're doing in Kestrel, all that mm -hmm. as a culmination, if I was to ask you, what does how would you define financial well-being? So for me, financial well-being is entirely about my goals. So for me, it's about achieving my goals without compromising what really matters to me in life and being comfortable with the idea that I know what my money is doing, not just for me, but also in the world around me. So it's a sort of internal well-being and also an external macro level concept. Um, so if we break that down, um, a, a big discovery for me, which again happened when I met my friend and co-founder was, um, when he asked me a very blunt question, which is, where is your money right now? And I said, it's all in my bank account. What do you mean? <laughs> and he was like, at any one moment, at least, you know, some, you know somewhere between 70 to 80% in, in some cases of your money sat in your current account isn't really there. Um, and that blew my mind. And I'm really ashamed to say that I had been working in financial services for five years up until that point. Um, I've been working in regulation and in consulting, but I didn't know the concept of fractional reserve banking, uh, which is how banks make money. They take money that is not just in your savings account and lend that out to businesses to generate a, a return or interest on, but they also do it to your current account. And that's how banks work, which is why if there was a run on a bank, like with Northern Rock, why banks would pretty much fall out of service because they don't have the money to give everyone 100% of their deposits back at the same time. And that kind of shocked me. And when I started reading around it, I, I discovered that the majority of banks, the big high street names, then they're pretty, I don't want to say shady, but they're not exactly transparent with what they're doing with people's money in the background. And Triodos Bank is a, a great ethical bank, which has been around for a while. They did a deep dive into this. Um, and they, they released a report a couple of years ago, which found that um, in the past two or three years, about 150 billion pounds of customer deposits have actually been lent out to fossil fuel producing companies, um, which was, it was a shock to me, firstly, because I thought I just put everything in the current account, so the money's always there, 100%. Um, but it meant that my money, which I was ensuring, I was working so hard towards making sure it was earned in a halal manner, was being used for all kinds of things that I didn't know about whether it was you know, producing carbon or it could even be being used for purposes that I wouldn't consider halal in any way, shape or form. And suddenly this idea that I'm putting my money in a current account because it's avoiding interest suddenly felt like it didn't really matter because my money's being used to generate interest for other people, but also to potentially do harm in the world and to other people. And that really, really was a wake up call. So, but well-being is about helping me achieve my goals whilst being comfortable with the fact that I am not, I'm not damaging the world around me. I'm also adhering to my own personal and religious values. Excellent. One of the things I wanna, one of the things I wanna pick out of what you said, um, 
first of all, I completely agree. You know, the whole concept of you know fractional reserve bank and all these things. When when we speak about them, people's minds just completely shut down. I've had the same experiences amongst yeah, my friends. Um, but one of the things that I, I really want to hold on to there is the fact that you didn't know, right? It, it's, it's something that was completely alien to you when when you was presented it. And I want to take that back to something that you said earlier about our lack of uh, our lack of conversation that we mm. have in the community, right? Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think there is this kind of taboo thing about money that leads us to just not knowing things? I, I think it's a. I think it's a few things. I think. I think financial illiteracy is a big problem, not just in our community, but in the UK in general. I think a recent statistic found that the United Kingdom has one of the poorest levels of literacy when it comes to finance um, out of any country in the Western world. We're not taught about it in school. You know, we're we're taught about quadratic equations and and you know the you know the different planets and all these other kinds of things. But it's bizarre that we still don't teach people what a mortgage is or you know what to do with your money what the concepts of inflation and you know whether you should be saving and when when should you be investing and why um you're just sort of thrown out into the world and left to figure that out on your own um and there's this concept i think as well and i don't know if it's a bit of a reach but someone someone i heard this quote that wealthy people and rich people who are inherently rich or come from money are taught to invest and they're taught many of these rules whereas uh, people who are from poorer backgrounds poorer economic uh, conditions um, are not taught any of that they're just taught to put their money away to save uh, and if they're saving probably just putting it into a current account and I think with our communities with Muslims in this country the majority of, of Muslims are at the other end of the socio-economic spectrum um, you know, British Pakistanis, uh, Bangladeshis, uh, Somalians, we tend to be some of the poorest performing, unfortunately, communities in, in um, the UK, um, you know, especially for my community, the British Pakistani community, many, many of them are, are, you know, don't come from that kind of a background. Um, and in that way, I think just generationally, families are not able to pass on this knowledge to them and schools never do really anything to do that. So there's not really a source. There's not a, a kind of like font of knowledge or a baseline for us to pick that up from. And the people who do know about it, it's taught to them and it's passed down from people who are already very wealthy and they have access to. That's interesting. So I completely, I completely agree. And I've, I've, you know, it's been backed up by, you know, other people I've spoken to and I've seen it firsthand, right? And you yeah. said you've, you've been in financial services for a while now. But obviously yeah. you're you're a Muslim within financial services. So you were, yeah. you were kind of on both sides of that equation where it was like, right, I have this knowledge. I have this awareness of what we could do and people who are yeah. actively doing it. Uh, and then yeah. at the other side, I'm going home and I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing directly from, you know, from the masjid or whatever it is, people within the community that are uh, not, they're not reluctant to take on the information. They simply don't know. What, yeah. what how, how did that make you feel kind of having, <laughs> or seeing both sides of the coin like that? It's, it's weird. The only thing I can describe it as is apathy, where people worry about different concepts. People get really up in arms about whether M&Ms are halal or not. Um, or, you know, I think the, the, the two conversations I've always heard about if you want to attract a Muslim audience is talk about marriage or talk about gin. Um, so if you talk about those two things, uh, that's... Uh, that's the way that to really attract attention of the youth, but also you know older people. 
money is boring to people, right? Money, uh, especially when you don't understand how it works or you have to do con- you know, homework to, to get on board with it. And the one thing which everyone gets in Islam about it is that interest is bad. That's pretty much the one kind of guiding thing is interest is bad and that's about it, right? And for that reason, um, I just have a current account and I might have multiple current accounts where this is my spending account and this is the account where I'm just storing money away in and that's where I touch it. And, you know, I, that's, that's just the way it works. And then when you, you say something like, yeah, but, you know, interest is like, you know, inflation is like slowly eroding the value of that or, you know, the bank is actually lending it out to all of this. Um, people just are like, well, you know, it's something I'll worry about later or it's something I'll worry about when I get closer to a bigger milestone in my life. Um, so one thing which has been a massive frustration to us at Kestrel is I really want to find a better way of reaching out to different demographics of people and helping them in the best way possible. But different things matter to different age groups. When you're a student, uh, you don't really care about this stuff because you're worried about the next deadline. You're worried about getting in, getting an internship. So money is something that only comes on the agenda when you're earning a salary. And when you're earning a salary, you just worry about where that salary is going, but you don't worry about the future, which is taking out a mortgage. So I think preemptive planning and getting people interested in future milestones and goals is the key. And that's where what we're doing at Kestrel, we do everything around the goal about visualizing that goal and trying to have that on a set timeline and then working towards actualizing it. When you can foresee the next five, 10, 15 years, and the different goals that you're trying to reach to in your life, you start worrying about these, these bigger concepts, like what is a mortgage? How does it work? You know, how should I be saving or should I be investing towards these goals? What is a pension? Is it halal or not? Um, but I think um, a, big, a big part of this is not just a Muslim problem. I think, I think it's a socioeconomic problem. And I think people are not um, thinking about goals. They're thinking about saving or investing for the sake of it. And it's not helpful. Right. I mean, one of the things that, one of the things that said that I think is, is so on point is that we that money speaks different things to different people, depending on where at what stage of life we're in. Right. So, as you say, as you said before, you know, wealthy people teach their children to be wealthy It's something that they do and they have the luxury to do that, whether it's luxury of time, luxury of resources, people on the other end of the spectrum, not so much. I'm you know, I need to think about putting food on the table, not necessarily yeah. what's the best return on my ISA, right? So something yeah. like that. But also you mentioned age as well, you know, a student's going to have completely different uh, priorities to someone who's, uh, you know, 35 in the middle of their job earning hundred grand a year. Yeah. Um, do you remember if there was a particular moment in your, in your life, whether, you know, a, a certain point where it was like, right, this, you know, financial wellness and financial literacy and working in that field is, yeah. is what I want to dedicate some time to? Yeah. Um, yeah, there was absolutely. So with, with me, I'm really grateful that I've come from Alhamdulillah, a background where, you know, I think my parents were able to provide a really good life for me. I didn't have to worry about money, about, you know, things like that. I, Alhamdulillah, I just with me and my brothers, we were raised in a way where that wasn't an issue for us. And it was good in a way in that, you know, of course we, we Alhamdulillah were quite privileged growing up, but on the other end of the spectrum or the other side of the coin, we um, didn't learn about these kinds of concepts. We didn't learn about the idea of saving regularly and why it mattered. We didn't understand the concept of investing and, and all of that. And I think if we 
you know, if life had been a bit harder, it would have been more of a um, a talking point or more of a, a sticking point for us. But there was a specific moment, which is um, where, you know, I have uh, my grandparents, they're living in Pakistan. They Their health has deteriorated lately. And there was a point where I just thought, you know, why can't we just bring them here? Why can't we bring them to where their, their kids are and bring them here to the UK? And when you did the sums, I remember sitting down and figuring out how much it would be to bring someone who is a foreign national, who doesn't get NHS, who doesn't get all of that, to come here and have the kind of comfort and medical bills and all of that. Um, it was just staggering. And I just remember thinking that whilst money can't buy you happiness, it can absolutely make things a lot easier for you and make life and the journey of life way way easier and that was like a really really big sticking point and turning point in my life where I just thought you know if I had made different decisions or maybe if if this you know if if I could make a, a better lifestyle for myself um, then I can ensure that no one you know within my circle or within my family has to go through this or you know I could make a better life or you know something which can just make it easier so that's that's kind of the big sticking point that over the you know certainly over the past decade has really been hitting home for me and really did change the way I thought about money and what I wanted to do and suddenly this urgency came in which wasn't there before which was I need to try and make the most of the time that I have and the resources that I have to try and build up the kind of life that I want and that I don't want my loved ones to experience so yeah wow um yeah, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> sorry to make to, to um, dampen the tone a bit, but uh, no, listen, this this is exactly this is why it's important, yeah. right? Because I'm I'm very sure that you know these are very common situations. We're we're not we're not robots. We all have you know loved ones that we want a better future for, uh, and of course, as Muslims, we want to extend you know that goodness to the wider community as well. Yeah. So you know, just just knowing that you know we go through that kind of stuff, everyone goes through that kind of stuff, and uh, we all have our motivations for doing what we want to do, mm. and we all have reasons why we our relationship with money is what it is. Uh, whether it's healthy, whether it's unhealthy, we usually have that trigger moment yeah. <laughs> right? that, that yeah. kind of makes us want to want to improve it. What are some of the obstacles that you you see over and over again that kind of gets in the way of us improving our financial well-being as a community? So the number one overarching thing is being Muslim is almost an additional barrier to financial literacy and financial well-being because it is this first kind of locked door that people really struggle to open where they're like, okay, first of all, is this halal or haram? Is it halal or not? Uh, should I even be looking at this? Is this ISA halal? Can I even be considering this? Is this investment opportunity halal? Is uh, money boxes, is uh, you know investing in Tesla halal? Is I heard Tesla is now making vodka, so is the stock no longer halal or not? You know, So it's this first incredible uncertainty, because already it's a world that we don't really know much about um, if you haven't been educated in it. Um, and then suddenly there's this whole other element of Islamic finance and Islamic financial literacy, which just turns people off completely. And it's no exaggeration when I say like 95% of people don't make it across that first hurdle, which is, is it halal or haram? Because they're busy, they've got other things to be doing. They've got deadlines, they've got work, they've got family, friends, loved ones that take up the rest of their time. So they don't do that kind of research. 
those who do make it past it, they're suddenly thrust into this world where it's, okay, investing, how do I make the boat the best of it? What's the different difference between speculation and versus investing? And the idea, there's still some really basic core concepts that I think a lot of young people still, they, they don't fully appreciate, which is the idea that if you're going to invest, it needs to be for the long term, as opposed to just investing in something and say like buying some stocks of Facebook and one day there's a there's a downturn after three months and you decide just to cut your losses and sell it. If you're going to invest, it needs to be like for a five, 10 year period because that is, you know, all the statistics have shown over the past century or so that that's how you make money. You you stick into something which is undervalued. You think it's going to go up and, and it's going to, you know, accumulate value over time. Um, but yeah, to go back to your original question, the thing time and time again is that we have a, a double illiteracy problem. Number one, Islamic finance, and number two, finance as a whole. And then when you put all those things together, the number one thing that people, that I'm seeing with people is that people don't know where to go. There's a lack of awareness of actual solutions and what actually exists out there. And it sounds crazy. And it was weird to me when I heard it because I think just working in and around London and being interested in Islamic finance, you assume everyone knows what Wahid investors and you assume everyone knows what Yielders is and all these people who I consider like the titans of Islamic fintech and, you know, Islamic investment type things. And when you get out of London, like you go to the Midlands, people are just like, what, what is that? What is Wahid? What, what is that? And they will probably have heard of a, an Islamic bank like Arayan, but they'll have been so put off probably not from their own experience, but from a parent, a friend, you know, uh, an older relative, a cousin who just had a bad experience. And then that story just snowballed that the majority of them don't end up using these solutions that exist. Um, so, so that's definitely what I see. Islamic financial literacy, financial literacy, and then not really knowing where to turn to, to find good solutions and sources of information. What do you think are the implications or the impact that that could have of, of generally not knowing for us as a community? I think it means that we'll never progress. We will just get stuck in a situation where we're not accumulating knowledge and not passing that down to, to our children. And the, the gap between, between you know, those who are higher up in society, those doing well, and those you know, demographics which are not doing so well, we mentioned them before, British Pakistanis have consistently not been performing well um, socioeconomically. Uh, British Bangladeshis are, are on the rise. They think because of proximity to London and better schooling and better education, but these sorts of populations, we're just going, get, going to get left behind because we're almost shooting ourselves in the foot. And that's why so many people, and not so many, but there is, there is a subset of people who just get so turned off by the idea of Islamic finance and say that it's a con and it's just something that's meant to keep us down. And they'll try and dig up a fatwa which says that when you're in a Western country, it's okay, you don't need to be doing this because they're just sick of being left behind and feeling like, oh, I can't take out a mortgage because it's too expensive or it's, it's you know, or, or this kind of thing. So they just want to get onto that ladder. So I think a sacrifice has to be made. Either, either we sacrifice our goals, which is, you know, achieving the house that we really want, taking out that mortgage, achieving the goals that we want to, um, or, we, or, or we end up sacrificing, you know, what, what, um, 
what matters to us as Muslims and adhering to that kind of Islamic finance thing, which should matter to us, but we don't know much about. I mean, I'm, I fully understand the, the the concept of being put off by Islamic finance. I don't, I don't know where it comes from, but uh, I mean, where do you think it comes from? Why, why do you think that there's such a, a reluctance uh, or a hesitation to kind of to, to learn more about it or even engage with the products that are out there? Because as soon as, <laughs> and I went through this myself, as soon as you start lifting the lid and trying to figure out, okay, what is Islamic finance? What is this? Uh, what makes it different from a bank? It's really hard to figure out what the difference is because you'll go onto the website of a big Islamic bank and you'll be like, okay, so I'm generating a return on this product and it seems a lot like interest, but you're calling it profit. But where, how are you generating this? Where does it come from? And you won't find any information about it. It's not on the website. Instead, what they'll do to you is they'll, they'll throw out a bunch of different terms like diminishing Masharaka, Madaraba, or you know, all of these, these terms, which you'll know about if you've studied Islamic finance. But if you haven't, you'll have no concept or idea of. And it really puts people off. And they just feel like, okay, I'm not ready for this product yet. I don't know enough um, or it's not meant for me and it just dissuades them. So not having that, that, I think an easy landing page, an easy place to go and figure out what the difference is, it either makes people think they're not ready for it or it makes them think that Islamic finance is all a con and it's just a way of charging Muslims more for being Muslims, um, which is really interesting because there was a, there was a great um, point that was made by, um, uh, by Iqbal Khan, uh, who was the founder of HSBC Amana, um, and he currently runs Fadri Capital. And he was on a webinar recently where he said, um, when the forefathers of Islamic finance in the West were bringing Islamic finance here, they faced a choice. They could either do what they really wanted to, which was to make an entirely equity-based form of, of um, you know, offering products to people, which was, you know, you buy up a property for 100% and you allow people to invest in that and to buy back portions of the property as they made payments, that kind of model. Or we could go for an easier model, which would be quicker to push through, would help people in the shorter term because the regulators understand it and the legalities would be fine. And we could actually help people who need it now and go for something called Islamic finance, which was a debt-based form of, of, um, of Islamic products. And that's what they chose. They chose that. And it was always meant to be a stopgap solution. It was never meant to be a long-term goal. It was meant to be something that worked until the regulations would be allowed, would you know, be more open to a more equity-based form of financing. Um, and that never happened, right? It, uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't move forward. Um, but I think what we have now with this FinTech revolution, what we're doing at Kestrel as well, is I really hope we can move towards a very different kind of Islamic banking and Islamic investment products um, that could really change the face and make it a bit easier for people to understand what the difference is. Um, I should also add that whilst I've said all this about all these products and why they may not be easy to understand, um, that doesn't mean that the products are not Sharia compliant. They are all accredited by Sharia compliant organizations. Whether they are um, properly told and people are informed about how it works, that's a different matter. Um, and you know that's that's something which the businesses and the banks really need to do do a much better job on. Just stay on staying on that point. I want you to elaborate a little bit more on the work that you're currently doing at Kestrel and some of the things that you are seeing 
yeah. from uh, some some other people. Or just, you know, you, you mentioned fintech revolution that we're currently experiencing, which has been great to to, <laughs> to kind of stand on the sidelines and and, and witness. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the things that you're, you're you're hoping to do and that you're seeing from your your peers around you? This the softening <laughs> the edges of Islamic finance for us. Yeah, sure. So with Kestrel, we've taken the approach that we are trying to build a product that is just a good product and is good for everyone, regardless of their religion. So there was a commonality, a common problem faced by Muslims and non-Muslims alike, which was financial illiteracy, not understanding how to save, when to save, how to invest and when to invest, right? Building that. So we've gone back to the drawing board and have just gone back to what is personal finance for people and what it should be. And we split it out into four areas. Um, So number one is budgeting, uh, making sure you have more money coming in than you have going out. But then really we see that as taking what your income is and really getting the most out of that income and saving as much of it as possible. So that's step one, budgeting. Um, Step two uh, is really about prioritizing. So this is really something which most people fall flat on. They jump from budgeting to suddenly investing and there's a few steps in between. So really get your priorities straight in terms of what are your goals in life? What are you trying to achieve? Are they short-term goals and are they long-term or are they long-term goals, right? Generally, Kestrel, we say anything less than five years, we'd consider a short-term goal, right? Something which, you know, you may be better off saving for. for. Um, If it's over five years, that is something which you consider in the long-term and it may be worth considering investing in order to achieve that goal. So prioritizing is really, really important. And it also helps you to be really disciplined and stick to what you're doing. Otherwise, it's really easy. We see this with a number of our users too, who are saying, look, I'm, I'm trying to save up for going on Hajj or saving for a house deposit, but I felt weak, you know, this month and this new like Call of Duty came out and I just wanted to like spend 100, 100 pounds on like the gold edition for the PS5 and that just happens, right? And this happens every month with people. Discipline is a big thing when you don't have a goal to visualize. Um, on top of that, debt is a huge thing. Um, especially for the Muslim community. If you have any kind of debt, um, it's really, really important to us Islamically, and there's you know, countless hadith about this as well, they should really try and pay that off as soon as possible. So alongside your goals for what you want to achieve, debt repayment should really be one of them. And that's something at Kestrel that we really try and help people do. Um, so that's step one, budgeting. Step two, priorities. Step three is saving. Saving for the short term. Um, and it is as simple as it sounds. Uh, you just put money away in deposits in um, what we call the Kestrel eggs, which are these little savings pots where you can ring fence money within the Kestrel, Kestrel account going towards specific goals. Um, but this is something that is really important. And I don't think anyone talks about it. And a lot of people don't understand it. That I didn't understand it, right, uh, a few years ago. So um, uh, until I was properly looking into this. Putting money in a current account and just having it sitting there, you're always going, you're just playing a, lo- you know, a losing battle uh, because inflation is just eroding that money away. It's, it's, it's just not a good idea. You're just, you, you know, it's almost like it would be better keeping it under the mattress, which sounds crazy, but that's just the reality of it. Um, so if you can go for a halal savings account in some way, that would definitely be better. Something which provides a return, which has to beat inflation. And that's easier said than done these days where savings rates are terrible, but that is something they should definitely be looking out for. 
but I'm really pleased, pleased to say that inshallah Kestrel is working on a product with a partner Islamic bank where we are looking to actually provide people with a return on their Kestrel eggs from these savings pots. So you can have the money sitting there and not just doing nothing, but it's actually generating a halal passive and, and risk-free return for you, which is linked with an, with an Islamic bank. And the final thing after saving is of course investing. Um, and for investing, you know, uh, there's, there's countless, there's so much information out there, but the main thing is invest in the long term because you should always expect your investments to go up and down and don't be dissuaded if there is a, a drop in the short term um, and you're just going to sell everything because in the long term, especially if it's a passive investment fund, something tracking the stock market, you're more likely to win in the long term. Um, so if you have longer term goals, like starting a family, buying a, a larger house later down the line, you can consider investing for it, right? Putting that money away. As long as it's something you know that that money is, you know, you don't need to get it in a, a really quick fashion in like the next few months. You can put that away and you're comfortable with that being locked up for a few years. Um, and that's something we're working on as well with our Kestrel Marketplace. So the investment marketplace is a, a collection of all of the investment products that a lot of people don't know about, which you can view, purchase, and uh, compare directly within the Kestrel app. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that, bro. Let's, um, you know, I've, like I said, I've been following you guys for a while. And, um, you know, it's really interesting and exciting to hear about everything that you've got in the pipeline uh, coming out. And, th you know, I, I have no doubt, I'm fully confident that it's going to only add uh, to us improving our financial well-being and our literacy moving forward as a community. Um, to, to, to wrap things up, inshallah, um, I mean, you've, you've had such a such a wealth of experiences, you know, from, from growing up and your experiences as a child and into, you know, into adulthood and the work you've done in financial services and now yeah. with Kestrel. Um, I suppose it's all molded um, the relationship you've had with money. It's all played, a, it played its part. If I was to ask you in one, you know, in one sentence to, to sum up, money is what? Money, uh, I don't know if it's an original answer, but money is freedom. Um, money is a way of achieving what you need to do in this life. Um, and I know as Muslims, we should always view this, this life, this dunya as temporary. Um, but you can use that money to do good within this world and to further our lives in the next world as well. And I strongly believe that if you're good at something and you've been put in certain places of privilege and have the opportunity to do something, especially if you've worked in financial services, um, then you owe it to yourself and to this ummah and, and to, to our religion to try and further it and further the ummah's understanding and help people and open doors for them. So I think money is freedom um, in, in many ways, both for this world and, and also for the next. Excellent. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. There you have it, guys. <laughs> Money is freedom, according to Arif Sadiq of Kestrel. Bro, it's been, a, it's been an amazing, uh, you know, it's been an amazing conversation. <laughs> so much stuff to unpack there. I'm sure we could have spoke for, for hours and hours on this yeah, kind of stuff. It's such, a, it's such a rich topic, right? And we really need to have more conversations about this. But thank you for, for coming forward and agreeing to be a guest and, and getting the conversation uh, start. May Allah continue to place, you know, barakah in your work and everything that you're doing at Kestrel. Um, I'm sure it will be tremendously successful. Thank inshallah. you.
for those watching, uh, I hope you found it beneficial as always. And if you have uh, any questions or any queries regarding anything we discussed today, um, or if you just want to you know, chat about financial well-being in general, you can feel free to get in touch with me over on LinkedIn, or you can reach me at the uh, on the Wealthy website, just fill in the contact form there. What's the best way for people to get hold of you, bro? Uh, so you can find me uh, on LinkedIn. It's probably the best place to find me. Or you can drop me an email at info at kestrel.co.uk. Uh, I should probably say how Kestrel is spelled. It's K-E-S-T-R-L. Um, so info at kestrel.uk. Either of those, definitely the best way. Perfect. Zakala here. There you have it, guys. Until next time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.